We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of Mind of My Money presented by Argent Wealth. I'm Neil McCready, Martin Palomo with me here today on this uh, Friday afternoon in uh, Oxford as things are beginning to sort of thaw for the first time in a week. Uh, people can start to move around a little bit after a week of basically ice lock here in um, in Oxford. Uh, Martin back in uh, Ridgeland at uh, Argent. So we'll talk to uh, get him to tell you about what's going on there in a moment. First, I'll just tell you real quickly. I'm actually downstairs from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900s. That number, call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours, right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote and the rest is completely up to you. You can shop that quote around. You can do what I've done, what I recommend that you do. And that's hop into a Clark Ford today. Again, 662-257-1900. And Martin, uh, what's going on there at Argent? Uh, man, we've had a, a busy January already. Uh, looks like it is not going to slow down at all. For the rest of the month, I kind of looking at my calendar next next two weeks, and and it is uh it is slam packed, man. Uh, we've got some new folks on the calendar, which is really cool. Um, man, we have a listener to the show uh, who has been on my calendar, uh, um, which is one reason why yesterday I, I was un unable to to record. I was I was visiting, um, you know, with with his family to to see if it, if it made sense, uh, to work with us. So man, very grateful for our listeners, especially the ones that say, Hey, I want to have a conversation and see if it, if it makes, if it makes sense. Um, you know, and really kind of talking about the plan for folks, not just investments, although invest investments are an important part of the plan. It is not the only part, um, you know, of planning. So, you know, uh, folks had great years last year. I know probably people are kind of looking at their, Statements are coming in. They're looking at their statements for year in and saying, "Hey, uh, you know, I ended the year better than uh, than I started, which is a good thing." And I know we'll talk a little bit about markets, uh, you know, in the show. But if folks are saying, you know, I feel good about my investments, but I'm kind of unsure about, you know, my path. Am I on the right path? That's a good opportunity for us to have a conversation, take a look, see if it makes sense. Um, and folks can reach out to us. Uh, through the phone, 601-957-0323, um, or do what most of our listeners do and, and send us an email, um, and that is info 
at myargentwealth.com. So a few things to get to. We're not going to stay super long in large part because of my physical condition at this point, but we'll talk about some things. Uh, since the last time we met, we had the Iowa caucus. Yep. Donald Trump won big. Ron DeSantis big. finished second. Yep. Nikki Haley was third. Vivek Ramaswamy uh, that evening pulled out of the uh, election, cast all of his support to uh, Donald Trump. Yep. Got the... Uh, the New Hampshire primary coming up on Monday, I believe, uh, mm -hmm. Tuesday, Tuesday, uh, Haley, this is a key spot for her. She's got some support going in New Hampshire. She spent a lot of money in New Hampshire. Uh, Ron DeSantis has not, he has instead sort of saved his powder for South Carolina, which comes up after this, uh, Trump won in Iowa, 51%. DeSantis had 21%. Haley had 19%. It's a three-person race, if it's anything right now. Um, what were your takeaways from what happened in, in Iowa? Um, Man, uh, I kind of thought, you know, I kind of thought that Trump was going to, you know, was going to be the, be the number one spot. Um, what I didn't realize, I was... I was honestly a little surprised and maybe I shouldn't have been, maybe, you know, everyone else saw this coming. I just didn't see him winning by, you know, as large of a range as he did, which kind of tells me, you know, a little bit about at least the mood of what I'll call, you know, I, I when I think of Iowa, I kind of think about like the normal average, you know, American, I don't, they don't, they're not extremists on, you know, on the, on the coasts or anything like that. I kind of think of Iowans, uh, and, and Mississippians as, you know, as cousins, uh, they just like cold weather and a lot more corn, uh, than we do. And, you know, that was a statement I think that was made where, you know, and, and a lot of outtakes I've been watching after, you know, not from folks in Iowa, but, um, you know, p interviews from, um, you know, black Americans from Hispanic Americans really, really, pouring their support behind Trump and saying, you know, and a lot of the words are words that you've used on this show, you know, in the, in previous election years, which was, you know, voting with your, um, with people voting with their pocketbook saying, are we better off today than we were, you know, four years ago. And, uh, that's a lot of the comments that at least I was watching, you know, people say live is, they say that, uh, you know, they feel like Trump has done more for them than the Biden administration has. And I don't know if it's a devil, you know, versus the devil you don't type type of deal. And, you know, one of the things that was really surprising, I don't know if you saw this. So Jamie Dimon, who's the CEO of JP Morgan, is a he's he is a Democrat. He is not uh, shameful or bashful about it. But at Davos, at the Davos meeting, you know, he he kind of. I'm not going to say supported Trump because that's not the right words, but he affirmed Trump and he's like, you know, I don't like the guy. I don't like, you know, what the words he uses or the way that he talks about people. He's like, but the economy was good. I mean, we're talking about Jamie Dimon. He's the CEO of JP Morgan. This is not a dude that's an idiot. And he's like, you know, the economy was good under Trump, you know, and they're, they're like, you know, he's kind of right. 
about the border, um, you know, and uh, there was a lot of things he was giving compliments to Trump about. And he was really saying to his Democratic Party, like, hey, you got to stop using the term MAGA as derogatory because it's killing it's killing our party. Uh, it's killing the the independent voters that might, um, you know, become, you know, our vote for a, a second administration. I just thought it was really interesting that Jamie Dimon came out. I'm not going to say supported Trump because he's a Democrat. He does not support Trump. Um, but it was very interesting to hear him kind of compliment or affirm that yeah. while Trump may be a bully and an asshole, he, he was right about a lot of things. You know, whether this, you, this, this thing's going to get interesting pretty quick, Martin, because Let's say that Tuesday night Trump wins, even if it's narrowly in New Hampshire. Okay. He goes to South Carolina, which is Nikki Haley's home state. Yep. He's winning huge there. The numbers are very similar to what you saw out of Iowa uh, on last week. He just got the endorsement of Tim Scott, who is like Haley, a South Carolinian. This yep. thing from a horse race standpoint is almost over before it starts. At I think some, on the Republican side, it is. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I yeah, mean. Yeah. I'm talking about just the Republican nomination. I should, I should have clarified that. You're right. From a Republic, the pursuit of the Republican nomination, this race is practically over and just began. It's done. And, and so it really, if, if, and I'm not, this isn't my opinion here. I'm, I'm, Going from the Wall Street Journal, it talks about how DeSantis got a second place finish in Iowa, but he's trailing by thirty. <laughs> Polls show, Haley yeah, I mean that's going to, Haley's going to beat DeSantis in New Hampshire for sure. Okay, and then you're going to get to South Carolina, and and Trump is going to have this this monumental lead. Um, I mean, for Haley to even stay in the race to Super Tuesday, really, she has to win in New Hampshire. Um, Haley, well, I'm just Haley's not even on the ballot February the eighth in Nevada in 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 the Virgin Islands. Uh, so you get to February the twenty fourth, where Haley trails by more than twenty points in her home state of South Carolina, which gets us to Super Tuesday on March the fifth. Yep. And if all of that holds, Trump will Done. he'll be closing in on the number just mathematically needed to clinch the nomination, and he likely will do so before March the 19th. I mean, what I was going to say was this gets interesting because I don't know whether the Democratic side had been gambling that Trump and all of his legal issues and whatnot would create at least a bit of a horse race where he'd have to go to the whip a little bit in the backstretch and where he'd have to, you know, he'd, he'd have to, he'd have to race a yeah. little bit as it stands. He's not going to have to. And, um, I wonder if this impacts the Democrats at all in their strategy about, uh, about Trump, because I, I on one hand, on one hand, I think all along, and I've said this, if I'm the Democrats, I want Trump to win because he's the one guy that if he runs against Biden, the election is not about Biden. 
On the other hand, damn, all of the numbers look bad for Biden right now. And you yep. wonder if this forces the Democrats, at least privately, to go, hey, we got to rethink this thing because they obviously are absolutely terrified of a Trump presidency, a second Trump presidency. And Trump running away with this in the next five, six weeks, which looks likely, does kind of force their hand, doesn't it? It does. Well, and I'm kind of, and, and then I'm sure that the Democrats are going to be going, we cannot have another 2016. And the thing that I'm kind of interested in is what, if it looks like, you know, Trump is, which I mean, I'm going to, if I was a gambling man, I would just go ahead and say that Trump is going to be top of the ticket. He's got it locked up. I'll be interested to see who he picks as his, as his number two. Yes. Um, but what does that do for the economy? And and not even if it, it's kind of like the fed where the fed doesn't actually have to do anything. They can just say it. And the uh, markets and the economy kind of almost react to words and not actual policy happening yet. And so I kind of wonder like for our portfolios, you know, if it looks like Trump is going to be top of the ticket and then it looks like if it looks like Trump has, you know, even a pretty good chance of, of, uh, of winning in November, the markets start pricing in saying, Hey, we're probably going to have, you know, uh, better economic conditions. Uh, we're going to have more business friendly environment. We're going to have, you know, taxes that were supposed to reset back to, you know, higher levels that are probably going to get passed through as, you know, either permanent or further, not, I shouldn't say permanent, nothing is permanent, uh, additional, you know, um, cuts or, or kicking it out to, you know, keeping the same tax code. There's so many things that go into play for how it affects our portfolio. Cause if you remember back to 2016, I mean, we had a, I mean, we had a kind of an okay, it was, you know, flat year. Everyone thought Hillary was going to win, mm -hmm. you know, and markets generally like predictability. So markets were up, but election night when it, when I can't remember which was the first state to fall where I look, where I was like, Oh shit, he might actually win this thing. I can't remember if it was, uh, it wasn't Florida. It may have been like, I don't know, Michigan or I can't remember what state it was where I was going, Oh my gosh, like the the chance that that Trump is actually gonna gonna win this thing is is pretty good. And then and then he did. And I was watching, you know, as states were falling for him, the future, the market futures were just diving. Like I think they had the Dow saying the Dow was going to open up down a thousand points um on you know the day after after election night. And then it did. The Dow opened down like three or four hundred points, but then by the end of the day was up and then the markets took off. We never looked back after that. And you just got to think about like energy policy that's going to change. Uh, there's so many things. And I know you, I know our listeners may say this is, we beat this horse to death, but I, I think it's just worth reiterating over and over and over again so that people understand why we talk about these things. But politics impacts portfolios, lifestyles, checkbooks, bank accounts, your taxes that you it impacts everything and things that are important to people's lives from a financial aspect, you have to talk about it. And I don't know, man, I'm kind of a little giddy, which is, which is kind of wild. Uh, cause I've had a week of Mondays other than yesterday was a good day. I had a week of Mondays today and, you know, kind of talking about all this. I'm like, you know what? There's a, it's almost like there's hope. 
that that uh, that we can have. You know, we're not going to get bullied by the uh, other countries. We're going to, you know, have some safety and security in our borders and, uh, you know, and a good economic policy. And, you know, those are the things that Jamie Dimon was complimenting Trump about. And when a Democrat uh, and a very intelligent Democrat can say those things, I mean, there's truth to it. It's not smoke up the ass. There's truth to it. Hold on one second, Martin. One second. No, you're good, boss. Sorry to interrupt you there. Uh, go go right ahead with your thought. No worries, man. I'm just kind of, you know, I'm in a, I didn't think that Trump was going to, it kind of surprised me that Trump was going to win by as much as he did in Iowa. And that's why I said maybe, and it might not have surprised you. I know, you know, you follow this, you follow politics, you know, a lot more closely and in depth than probably most people would ever give you credit for. And I really respect that. It may have not been a surprise to you at all. I knew he was going to win. I just didn't think he was going to win by that much. Yeah, I, I thought he would win, obviously. I didn't think he'd win in a runaway. And frankly, I thought Haley had a little more traction than than she turned out to have. Um, see, I, I think what's interesting is that DeSantis is this guy who everybody respects as a governor. And a lot of people thought, you know, was going to be a real threat this time around. I did. But, I'll be honest. In the beginning, and, and I, did. I, I did too. I did too. And 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 in many ways, I think he was probably the guy that a year a year ago the Biden people probably feared the most, yeah. because a DeSantis uh, presidential campaign would have been him being able to go, "Hey, look at what Florida did in, in COVID, and now look at where Florida is today compared to some of the rest of the country that is Democrat states, right?" And yep. And he he would have been this sharp contrast to Biden. Biden wouldn't have been able to beat um, DeSantis across the bow with election fraud or 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 J six or any of that stuff because DeSantis would have been like, "Hey man, I, I that wasn't me, right? Let's talk about you and and, Policy, and the Biden yeah. the Biden presidency has just not gone well, and so." You know, on one hand, like I've been saying this over and over, this is to me, this is the dichotomy of this. On one hand, Trump being the the Republican nominee is the gift that the Democrats, frankly, don't deserve. And then on the other hand, and you start to look at it and you're like, but is it possible that Biden has just done so poorly that Everything Michael Moore said four years ago is going to come true again today. That Biden represents this, this movement in our country over the last four years to this kind of a radical left, right? Uh, of um, DEI. Um, as much as it's a trivial thing in terms of how many people it impacts, it's something that people talk about the, the trans stuff, the, the uh, biological males playing women's sports. Um, these things that I think regular everyday Americans, which I do think is the majority of us are like, man, I'm tired of this crap. I'm tired of hearing about this crap. I'm ready to get back to normal, quote, normal, end quote. 
And Biden ran four years ago as I'm going to be the adult in the room. And the truth is, is he hasn't been. So Biden's problem is that he can't run a race on his record, at least as of today. He's got a few months left. And hey, look, there are, in fairness to him, there's some good things in the headlines. I'm just reading headlines today. S&P 500 notches a new record high. Yep. Tech companies led a rally in stocks that helped offset caution elsewhere. The benchmark S&P 500 posted its first record close in more than two years. Yep. Home sales fell to lowest level in 28 years in 2023. It's not a good one. High mortgage rates, prices made home buying prohibitive, expensive for many people in the U.S. last year. See, I think that works big time against Biden uh, with young people. Young people are looking at this and going, rent's expensive as hell. Yep. Houses are expensive as hell. We can't, we can't uh, pursue the American dream. Yet the Wall Street Journal analysis, colon, the economy is starting to look normal. Housing isn't. Blackstone moving back into rental homes with Tricon deal. Consumer sentiment logs, biggest jump in decades. There's a lot there that perhaps Biden can use and the Democrats can use for momentum going into November. But really, this thing comes down to, yet again, it's, and people go, it's the third straight time, and I always go, no, it's not. It's the second straight time. 2016 was not an indictment on Donald Trump. 2016 was an indictment on Hillary Clinton and the status quo. Sure. I agree with 2020 that. 2020 was, an, was a, an election all about Trump and about COVID and all that stuff. This election, maybe it's all about Trump, but now it's about a different Biden. Biden's got a record. And if Biden runs, there's a lot of stuff he's got to overcome. And you get people that go to the polls that don't like either of these two people. And man, all bets are off on what happens on November the 8th. Yep. Well, see, I think what Biden really needs, and if Jay Powell and Fed governors continue to operate like they did, even during the Trump years, because I don't know if you remember or not during Trump years when interest rates were up, and China was really competitive, and Trump was trying to get Powell to, you know, drop interest rates down to zero again, so that the U.S. could be competitive with China. And he told him, "No, like that's not a that we don't have a there we don't have a need or a cause for that. And I need interest rates a little elevated so that if we have something, some recession that derails us, that I have some drop powder to work with, which was." You know, the foreshadowing, I wish, you know, you if you could go back and, and make trades based off of what Jay Powell said and foreshadowing, like, he kind of, I think he knew that at some point we were going to have Rocky Road. I don't think he expected COVID to be the the event, but what what Biden really needs is the Fed to do this magical, like, 2% cut this year, and I, that's not going to happen. I mean, I think we... I think we're going to get a 1% reduction in interest rates this year and probably the same or a little more next year, but it's going to come in little small bites. I thought they were going to be big bites, um, but the Fed has been telegraphing that that is not what they're – it made sense to me for them to be in big bites, but Powell has said, no, they're going to – you know, probably in April uh, or end of first half, they'll probably do a quarter percent and then another quarter at some point, You know, maybe six weeks later you know, another quarter, because that would stimulate economy drop, uh, you know, or create more affordability for houses for, you know, for young folks trying to get into houses. And then, 
you know, that would put them rolling into November with some positive economic momentum. Um, and I'm not saying the economy is going to be bad this year by any stretch of the imagination. Um, actually, what I'm saying is that the economy is in pretty good shape. Uh, and, you know, uh, last year or year before it was people calling for, you know, these huge recessions. I kept saying, I, I just don't see it. I don't see the huge recession in the in the cards, not saying that we won't have still, there could still be some sort of recession, but man, it's like each day we pass, it just looks less and less likely. Like we're going to have a massive recession. I think the fed actually is going to manufacture that soft landing that they were attempting, which is incredible. I mean, they're threading the needle again. I don't know that we'll have another fed chairman like Jay Powell ever in our lifetime. I thought, I think people don't like him. I don't mean, I don't, care whether people like him or not i just care about what kind of job he does and um but anyway biden needs powell to to do that for him and i can't but i can't imagine biden going to powell and say hey cut interest rates by two percent this year in one fell swoop and him go okay because he didn't do it when trump was bullying him i can't see why he would have i mean if trump is beating his chest at me and a biden is i'm gonna i mean biden doesn't beat his chest but whispering into my ears to cut <laughs> Like I probably uh, be a little bit more scared of a, you know, the gorilla of Trump than the ear whispering and hair sniffing of, of, uh, of Biden. I just keep waiting for some of the, the legal issues that hang over Trump to take a, to take an effect and, and to show, to show themselves in the polling data. And to this point, they just haven't. Mm -mm. And I don't know whether it's because people are just tone deaf to it or people, view it as illegitimate or people just don't care. I don't know. It's, 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 it's really fascinating. And then you wonder if we're going to go into this fall with Trump's not debating. Uh, Biden's not debating. I question whether they'll even have a debate. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I, I, I'll give them this. I think the TV ratings would be off the charts because for everybody complaining that the, the media complains about Trump and yet, he, he sells ads for them. He dominates their coverage because he obviously keeps them <laughs> keeps them relevant. Yeah, he keeps and, the and lights on. It's really wild. The whole thing is. I mean, there's this there's this story today in uh, in Georgia. You know, Fannie Willis, the prosecutor in the Trump Georgia case. Her. Um... We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Families have a lot going on. 
Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. She's got allegations out today about, uh, you know, she's seeking to avoid being deposed in the divorce proceedings of a colleague she's accused of having an affair with, uh, calling a recent subpoena for her testimony a form of harassment meant to derail her criminal case against Trump and others. Um, but the 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 documents are out and they're damning against her, you know, and 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 some people are going as far as to go this. It, it, it's going to make her her ability to prosecute Trump or anyone basically null and void. So what does that do with that case? Does it just kick it down the road where it gets past uh, November? The the civil case is ongoing right now, but polling shows that America doesn't care. Like they don't, they don't necessarily have an opinion about what happened between Trump and what's her name. Um, I can't think of her name right now. Uh, like Stormy Daniels or no, no, no. The, the, oh. The uh, um, I'll find it. The woman in in uh, in New York, uh, in the defamation case. It's uh here. I've got it right here. Um, e. Jean Carroll, the columnist. You know she's accused him basically of sexual assault back oh, okay ages ago. And dude, it's so awful. Like I, I guess I've totally missed that story here. Well, that's kind of my, there's there's so much that I don't know that the the average American can keep up with it or cares at all really yeah you know i mean most people like you said at the very beginning of the show people vote with their pocketbooks and vote yeah. with their happiness it's it's you know it's why bill clinton was reelected so easily even though he had all of the the uh lewinsky stuff hanging over him because <laughs> the, people's, yeah. people's pocketbooks were, were full the economy was good yeah. um you know, so they, they, no one wanted to mess it up. So it's like, well, I mean, what he does in his private life, that's between he and Hillary or his what? wife. Yeah. Was the, that was the general consensus. Right. So. And I mean, and that's what the interviews were on the streets that I was watching with, um, you know, folks. And I think it was in New York where they were interviewing, you know, the Hispanic community, the black community. And one of the things they kept saying was, you know, we had money in our pockets when Trump was in office. And I, and I really what they're saying is inflation through COVID has really hurt, especially, um, like lower middle class families. Um, you know, and even the lower class families that are on a, you know, if they're on government assistance, they're really on a fixed income and with things elevating, you know, they're not getting any more income in on their government assistance on a monthly basis. Um, so I think, I think that's really what they're talking about is they had, they had, uh, they had bigger, fuller bellies and more money in their pockets with during Trump and, you know, and I think that that's a really simplistic way to say that the economy was in good shape, that America was in was in good shape. Our markets, and I realize, you know, markets generally are, it's more of the middle class and upper class that participate in markets that, you know, that the, that the lower class who are working, you know, if they're working at McDonald's, I don't know that McDonald's offers 401k for their part-time, maybe for their full-time folks you know, they do, or folks who are, you know, servers in restaurants, not very many restaurants have 
you know, benefits programs. So it's just that part of our society does not get to participate in, you know, generally uh, participate in markets like, you know, folks that have 401ks at their work or, you know, IRAs at, at home. So, um, but yeah, oh. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. You nailed this at the very beginning of the show where you talked about Jamie, D Jamie Diamond. Yeah. Uh, this is, Dude, it blew my mind. Like I had to, I had to rewatch it just to make sure that it wasn't like the AI of, <laughs> you know, someone AI Jamie Diamond's face and voice saying these things. I was like, cause I heard it on the radio first. Yeah. Well, here it is. And I was like, no way, dude. Here's the direct quote. This is reading from the Wall Street Journal, Kimberly Strassel's, her, her opinion column. She says, most Americans wouldn't consider a banking titan a spokesman for the common man, but give J.P. Morgan's Chase CEO Jamie Dimon credit for putting his pinky finger on the phenomenon, the divide that best explains today's unsettled political environment. In an interview Wednesday with CNBC, Mr. Diamond took issue with the disconnected liberal elite that scorns MAGA voters. Quote, the Democrats have done a pretty good job with the deplorables hugging on, onto their Bibles and their beer and their guns. I mean, really, could we just stop that stuff and actually grow up and treat other people with respect and listen to them a little bit? Yeah, he said that. Uh, end quote. Uh, I'm reading from Strassel. She says, the powerful, the intellectual, and the lazy have long said that the divide in this country is between rich and poor. They divvy up Americans among traditional lines related to wealth, college, no college, white collar, blue collar, income, then layer on other demographics. This framing has given us the diploma divide and the new suburban voter and hillbilly mm. elegy. It sent the political class scrambling to understand Donald Trump's Forgotten man, again, defined economically. That framing fails to account for the country's unsettled electorate. There's a better description of the shifts between and within the parties, a split that better explains changing voter demographics and growing populist sentiments. It's the chasm between a disconnected elite and average Americans. This is becoming a them versus us electorate and election. Political candidates take heed. This gulf is described by unique new polling from Scott Rasmussen's RMG research conducted for the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. Mr. Rasmussen says that for more than a year, he'd been intrigued by consistent outlier data from a subset of Americans, which he later defined as those with a postgraduate degree earning more than $150,000 a year and living in a high-density area. Mr. Rasmussen in the fall conducted two surveys of these elites and compared their views to everyone else. Talk about out of touch. Among the elite, 74% say their finances are getting better compared with just 20% of the rest of voters. The share is 88% among elites who are Ivy League graduates. The elite gave President Biden an 84% approval rating compared with 40% from non-elites. And their complete faith in fellow elites extends beyond Mr. Biden. Large majorities of them have a favorable view of university professors, 89%, journalists, 79%, lawyers and union leaders, 78%, and even members of Congress, 67%. Two-thirds said they'd prefer a candidate who said teachers and educational professionals, not parents, should decide what children are taught. I'm almost done. 
More striking is the elite view on bedrock American principles central to the biggest political fights of today. Nearly 50% of elites believe the U.S. provides too much individual freedom compared with nearly 60% of voters who believe there's too much government control. 77% of elites support strict rationing of gas, meat, and electricity to fight climate change versus 28% of everyone else. More than two-thirds of elite Ivy grads favor banning things like gasoline-powered cars and stoves and inessential air travel in the name of the environment. More than 70% of average voters say they'd be unwilling to pay more than $100 a year in taxes or costs for climate, compared with 70% of elites who said they'd pay from $250 up to, quote, whatever it takes. This is fascinating to me because this tells me why there is such a disconnect between my field, journalist, and the public. And it it absolutely verifies, validates what I've thought for a long time, which is these people, it's not that they're bad people, but they live in an echo chamber. And they're up there in New York and Washington, and they party with one another, and they socialize with one another, and little Johnny goes to little Jenny's birthday parties, and they sit around and they talk about the same things, and they all went to the same schools, and they know the same people. They went to Harvard and Yale and Brown and Cornell and Dartmouth and VMI, and that's where they went. And MIT, and they're smart people, and they're very concerned about the climate and about these issues, and 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 they are completely out of touch with the masses today who would say packed into Larson's in Oxford to get groceries for the first time in a week because of an ice storm that essentially shut down the town. They're completely out of touch with that, which makes me believe that once again. There's a real chance that all the polling data is off and that we're in for another absolute, quote, shocker on November the 5th, not the 8th, I said earlier, November the 5th, when America votes for this guy that they detest because that guy relates to the average American much more than Biden and the elites do. Man, the shocking thing was that what you read was actually written down. I mean, that is, that's incredible that there was polling that happened where people actually wrote those responses. Cause I was thinking in my head, I was like, man, what a, a great experiment would be. I know a perfect place where they can go try this, where they can go see, Hey, let's see how rationing out gasoline and meat and healthcare and all that stuff works. It's, it's just 90 miles South of Key West. You can, Go, yes. go, go give it a shot. Try. And, it, doesn't, uh, I mean, it doesn't work. It, it works in their little, but look, let's, let's be doesn't, real about It doesn't these. even work in their, in, in their country. They're, no, everyone's because, starving. But they don't, what I was going to say is in, in their little world up in oh, okay. bad, DC and, and New yep. York where they, they have so much money. These are wealthy people. These are, and they're, they're people who live a very, an existence that like the, I always say this, these people, they never go to Grenada, Mississippi and vice versa. No one in Grenada ever goes to Martha's vineyard to summer. And so they, <laughs> the, the two, they don't relate to one another. Yeah. And that's the class that covers these, these political races. 
And it's why there's this disgust that comes about in their in their tone about Trump and about Republicans and 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 the whole MAGA movement and all of that. And yet, as he did several years ago, Trump, you know, 2018, 2019, those people in suburban, when I say suburban, I mean blue-collar suburban Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin. Those people were doing well. They had jobs. They were bringing home money. They were able to afford to, to send little Johnny to state you. And they could do some of those things. And and a lot of those jobs were, you know, like, like assembly or plant jobs. They were blue-collar jobs. And Biden and the Democrats want to shut those jobs down because they genuinely believe in this climate thing and electric vehicles and all of that stuff. And, man, I'm just telling you, I don't know that common, everyday American believes in that stuff. And I think that's the stuff that's back on the ballot this time, not Trump's decency or lack thereof or Trump's mean tweets or lack thereof. I I, I, I think it's why, back to making our, our conversation full circle, it's why I'm fascinated to see what the Democrats ultimately decide to do if Trump runs away with this nomination and it becomes obvious on March the 5th, which is only about a month away, six yep. weeks away. If it becomes obvious on March the sixth that hey this is Trump, where you're you you've got to figure out can Biden beat Trump, and if not, what do you do about Biden? What do you do about Kamala? And who can you put in that can beat Donald Trump? And they have a really short bench too, because they have the identity politics problem with Kamala, and you have the guy that they thought was going to be their answer, Gavin Newsom who is going to have to perform better than he did in that debate against Ron DeSantis, where he did not fare well. Well, dude, and I mean, it's, I think, and, and tying it back into to markets and people's portfolios, you know, with, I think this year, as we lead up to November, I think we'll have a, you know, a kind of a normal election year market. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of volatility fluctuation. I could be totally wrong uh, about this, but in most election years, it's, you know, it's a, it's a relatively smooth, not huge, but relatively smooth rides. But man, I mean, if we get to November and, and Trump pulls, pulls a rabbit out of a hat and wins again, uh, I mean, markets could be, could be taking off again just because of the expectation of what the economy uh is going to look like yeah the thing the thing that's um you know and i think i think that very likely too it's folks with um you know folks probably get uh a little bit uh excited about the prospect of you know the years when he was in office and they did have more walking around money you know in their pockets and things weren't as tight. And as you said, you know, little Johnny got to go to state university and, you know, little Susie got to, you know, get, uh, you know, got to buy her, got to buy her first car and, uh, you know, or get her, you know, her first house. And yeah, uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I mean, 
I'm, I'm I don't know. There's, I know we'll talk about this a lot, uh, and and our and our listeners may get tired of us, you know, this year talking about it. But I'm just really excited to see how this race turns out, and you know, and then what the what the outlook for the economy is. And I'm not saying that if Biden gets reelected, that that means you know, sell all of your stocks, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. That is never. It doesn't matter who's elected. That is never the, the you know, the right thing to do to just go to cash and. Because you know, but on both, I've I've seen clients do it when you know when Obama was elected. They're like, "Oh hell no, we're gonna we're selling everything. We're going to cash. We're going to hell in a handbasket." And I mean, truth be told, he was elected in November of '08. Uh, it was only six months later that we bottomed out in the markets. Then the markets ripped in you know 2009, 2010, uh, and we had we had pretty good markets during the Obama administration. And we had really good markets during, you know, and then when Trump got elected, people were like, oh, sell all, sell everything, go to cash. You know, uh, Trump's elected. It's that's, that's never the right, that's never the right strategy. Um, but oh, we'll absolutely. try to keep talking yeah. sense to people about, yeah. you know, oh, I, as this I, stuff uh, unfolds, you know, how does yeah, it no, I mean, your, I, I, your, I, your I just to be on? totally transparent, I have for the longest time thought that. Trump had no chance. And there is still a part of me that thinks Trump has no chance, uh, that he's just yeah. not popular enough. What is fascinating and what is fast becoming incredibly fascinating as, as we wrap is that I still think that. And on the other hand, I think it's fast becoming possible that Biden has no chance. And so if both people have no chance, if the parties that, that, that are supporting those P those candidates be share that view, even privately, what happens? Do they, do they revolt? Do they come up with a different way to have a different candidate? Is this an opening for a, for a third party candidate, not to win, but to, tr to impact the election in a way that makes that party viable moving forward? You know, we've not always been the Republicans and the Democrats. They're, they're the, the, the political uh, landscape, hasn't always been this one and to assume that this will always be the political landscape of the u.s going forward is, is is probably naive so this might be an election that even though biden or trump wins it might be the election that leads to dramatic change that leads to a, a third party gaining traction for 2028 yeah. because whoever whoever if it is biden versus trump Something we never talk about, we, and we'll we'll maybe tease this for the next time. If it's Biden that wins in twenty twenty four, he can't run for reelection in twenty twenty eight. If it is right. Trump who wins in twenty twenty four, he can't run for election reelection in twenty twenty eight. So if it is Biden versus Trump, there will be change in twenty twenty eight. And if it's two incredibly old, unpopular men that run against each other and one begrudgingly wins because someone has to win, it stands to reason that there's going to be a real vacuum of of dissatisfaction that's going to be there to be filled by someone or some party. Yeah. And I mean, I know we said this the last time too, but like my big kids are really invested into uh, into politics more than I was ever at their age and they have a really good understanding uh i would say a deeper understanding than i ever did at you know 18 19 
20 years old, which is kind of cool, man. Um, yeah. That the, that, that, that generation is saying like, Hey, we are, we're not just going to do what our parents do. We're going to, you know, try to understand and make good decisions for ourselves. And they actually, you know, do a little bit of due. And I think also it doesn't hurt that they have a computer in their pocket everywhere. I mean, every, everywhere they go where at 18, I did not have that. I was, you know, if you wanted to research, it was, it was, it took some effort to learn. Uh, I couldn't just be like, Hey Google, you know, tell me about Trump's policies or Biden's policies and those type of things. So, yeah, it's, it, it, it will be very fascinating to see how the young people vote in this election where the two people that are running are basically in their eyes, dinosaurs, <laughs> people who are 60 years older than them. Yes. They, they can't even begin to relate to Biden to Trump. I mean, it, it, and yet they're going to go to the polls and, and vote. So, Hey, uh, we'll wrap there. Um, yep. We'll come back uh, by the time we get together. New Hampshire will be in the books. We'll be uh, headed towards some of the, uh, the other stuff. So this, this will continue to be a topic. Obviously we've talked about this for a long time for 2024, but real quick, how can people get in touch with you guys at Argent? Yeah. Uh, man, again, phone number has not changed. 601. 601- nine five seven zero three two three um or email us at info at my argent a r g e n t wealth also i mean we're on social media too um you know folks can can hit me up on linkedin um under just martin palomo uh or facebook whatever i don't do i don't do a lot of the other stuff but that's All it right. man so until next time for uh, martin palomo i'm neil mccready that does it for this edition of mind of my money presented by uh, Argent Wealth. Again, it's myargentwealth.com. M-Y-A-R-G-E-N-T wealth.com. Uh, have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. Talk to you soon. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.